I'm Guido Romeo and uh, I'm at World of Speakers. I just spoke with uh, Ryan Fond about uh, being a robber and uh, how it, this is not a bad thing when it comes to public speaking, uh, meaning you can listen to great speakers and uh, look at what they're doing, learn from them, observe and uh, find your own voice. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. All right, we are back here with another episode of World of Speakers, and today we are talking with someone all the way around the world to Italy. Now, Guido Romero. Romero, Romeo. Not Romeo. <laughs> Romeo, that's that's right. Romeo, just like Romeo, but a little bit influenced. Now, I appreciate you jumping on the call with us here. It's fun because it's your afternoon and it's my morning. And here at the World of Speakers, no matter where you are, you are somewhere. So welcome to the show. And hopefully your afternoon is going well. And I'm excited to get to know you over the next 45 minutes or so to learn about your past and what. Uh, the path was that brought you to your speaking, I guess, would you call it a speaking career? Is speaking one of the primary ways in which you make money or is it something that's an offshoot of what you actually do and is more of a fun hobby? Uh, it's not a hobby because I, I get paid and I must say fairly well, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's an offshoot definitely. And uh, I don't consider it, I still don't consider it my, my primary career. Uh, although I, I have lots of fun doing it and um, I find it very enriching. I mean, confronting an audience is a, a real audience. You can look in the eye sometimes is, is something, a privilege for a journalist because we never see the guys we reading us. So it's, you know, you, you really, they keep you in check sometimes. So talk to me about being a journalist because that sounds kind of exciting if you think about it. I mean, did you always want to be a journalist? Was there a clear path for you? Did you have some sort of influence when you were young? Were you always into the news? What's the backstory behind you as a journalist? Uh, I have, yeah, I had some influence. I had some family friends who were journalists and I sort of looked up to them and it was kind of a, yeah, a second choice. My first choice was being a ranger when I was a kid because uh, I was in California. I used to see all these rangers in the natural, national park. So that was the coolest thing to be but uh um, hey, well you get horses and you get flat rounded hats and you get to talk about smoking the bear and hang out in the wilderness and all that right right and you can shoot sometimes i mean <laughs> lots of privileges but um yeah that didn't work out we moved out to from california we moved back to the east coast and then to to italy so in europe uh, and we don't have rangers here basically in europe uh, so now being a journalist i started off i had my background is economics but i started out as a science journalist because um, i saw it as kind of a, a good niche where to start and it was actually lots of fun because talking to scientists it's uh, it's much more interesting that uh, than talking to politicians or or just business people sometimes and uh, although i I must say I have many business uh, people among my friends and, and they are very brilliant persons, but Nobel laureates, able, being able to, you know, question a Nobel laureate on uh, the principle of physics and getting him to explain you like neutrinos and stuff like that is, is 
undoubtedly a privilege. And then probably that, that process of translating. I mean, it sounds like the way that you're describing talking with these scientists, would you consider yourself to some extent a translator? Because I'm oh. always interested for, you know, different cultures or different skill levels or just even uh, the communication between the science world and everybody else. It's a, it's a translation almost to, to explain these crazy scientific findings, right? Uh, yeah, it's very much. It's a translation work, but it's, uh, I would say it's even more than that sometimes because you, you have to put things in perspectives. I mean, scientists are very clear. They have a very, you know, clear framework of the world and it's a scientific framework, but readers are not all scientists. I mean, our readers are not all scientists. It's, it's a layman. So it, you have to bring in social issues and political issues. So it's, it's a bigger picture is that sometimes scientists don't really perceive uh, so well or they don't give enough importance to it so it's um it's an interesting job it's it's somewhat difficult at times but uh it can be very amusing yeah now how much you know how much do you travel around are you primarily there in italy do you are you called upon to speak around the world it's mostly it's mostly italy uh nationally and sometimes uh other European countries. I, I, I did some gigs in Brussels because uh, of uh, European Commission things. But I guess it's also national visibility. I, I write for an Italian business paper, Il Sole 24 Ore, which is a bit like Financial Times for Italy. So I have much more visibility. I would say I quote unquote, much more of a name uh, nationally than internationally. So it's uh, that's a different... Uh, a different market somehow. You know, when I think of a journalist, I think of someone who definitely is outgoing, but more so outgoing in the way that they express themselves, not necessarily imagining someone who is you know, behind the paper to be on the stage. How did that transition happen for you? And, and at what point did your writing turn into speaking? Uh, it was really accidental. I'm I'm a totally an accidental speaker in that sense. It was years ago, and I was working with uh, a much older journalist who was my boss, and he's pretty famous uh, uh, in Italy and and elsewhere. And uh, he was getting so many requests that you know he he couldn't keep up with them, uh, and so he I started as a stand-in, moderating things, and then developing my own line of talks and. Uh, which is actually a bit different from his line. So it's always on digital world science and, and business, but it has a, a different spin. And um, and so I, yeah, I really, really grew into it. And I guess it's uh, the two things go hand in hand, being a journalist, writing, and, you know, having your your byline out in the paper and, and being asked to moderate or to speak is uh, are two things that are very complementary. No. Would you say that, you know, you, you said accidental, but was it really the right place at the right time? Because that's always fascinated me. I've heard so many people talk about, you know, their path to speaking. Was it the right place, right time? Or was it was it more than just that? I mean, you do say accidental, but it was probably quite the path to get to where you even had that opportunity. Or was it really just sort of a total accident? No, I, I saw it from the very beginning as a as an opportunity, so that was okay. very clear to me. But I I went through some scary moments. Uh, at one point, they I had to uh, 
talk for like uh, and moderate for like two hours on stage in front of uh, 1500 people so that's uh and i didn't really have an actual training but since you're a journalist people expect you you know to be able to do <laughs> anything because you're kind of a, a minor superhero and uh well once i managed that i guess it's it was sorry i i saw that uh as a watershed moment in somehow because i said well, well if i can do this in a on a big stage with a big audience uh uh, then I can, you know, do it uh, more comfortably. That said, uh, you keep training. I still do uh, speaking trainings, and uh, I I'm a student myself in this, uh, and I, I think you you need to to keep doing that. I I look up to much more famous speakers, and especially the guys who work on TV and who work on the radio. I did some radio work, and that helped because of you know pronunciation and. Uh, the way your your voice sounds, uh, the level of your voice that has to be stable, but um, you need to keep exercising, and uh, it, it's a little bit like singing. I mean, singers have to be much more disciplined, I, but it's uh, it's that kind of uh, training you're going through. Now, in your training, have you or do you plan to make a transition to training other speakers? Because it sounds very much like you're honing in your craft. Do you work with other people at the same time or are you really focused on, you know, gaining the expertise and, and that stage time for yourself? Uh, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm already a trainer as a, as a journalist. So I train, I, I do, I teach in journalism schools and then journalism workshops and, uh, I do things with companies, uh, but, uh, I wouldn't go into training speakers, uh, at least not in the near future. I don't see myself doing that. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm going to throw you under the bus, and just like you had an opportunity to get on stage and start speaking, you have an opportunity now to pretend like you are a speaker coach. How's that? Well, I have some. <laughs> I can share some of the tips. That's uh... yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, if you if you don't identify yourself or you don't really do some training for speaking, then now uh, I'm giving you the opportunity to do so. So after this podcast, you'll be like, yeah, you know, I'm also a a speaker coach. <laughs> <laughs> I'll add that to my, my resume. <laughs> so uh, I, I would be curious to know, now that you are a speaker coach, <laughs> what some of your, your tips are, because I think that, you know, students make some of the best teachers, especially because when you're in the audience, you have a, a different perspective. So with a unique perspective of being a writer, somebody who's into more of the the way things work, starting from economics to working into science to interviewing some of the most brilliant minds in the world and translating that, how do you suggest someone who is wanting to spread a message, how would you suggest that they hone their craft? Are there any exercises that you do? Are there any lessons or teachers that you've had that just stick out and um, you know things that you would share if you had to like somebody like me forcing you to well the first tip is really observing and as journalists we're used to do this because well my my partner noticed this once because i was reading a, a story in the newspaper and and uh, and she noticed well you guys just read things differently because we basically uh, we act like thieves when we read something we we look at how that thing was built uh, how that house was built. What can I take from that house? So you sort of do this reverse engineering of the story in your in your head, checking on how the the, the writer built uh, that story. Did he fact check his stuff and and all that? 
when you so the first tip is is really have the same attitude uh, the thief attitude when you see somebody at a conference and you consider him a good speaker look at what they're doing and try to deconstruct how they build up the relation with the audience with the other speakers if it's a panel what is their timing because uh, it's not always scripted or very scripted but uh, uh, when you talk and when you get on stage, uh, you have a plan basically saying, uh, I will have five minutes and intro- one minute introduction, then three minutes for, you know, uh, chit chat with uh, my fellow speaker. And then I will transition to that. And then I will do this and then that. So really observing is a, is a, is a great deal, uh, is a great part of the game. The second tip is... Well, hold on real quick. Let, let's, let's dig into that for a second because this is an interesting approach in the fact that you're saying observe and deconstruct other people that you see and that's going to give you more insight to really kind of read behind the scenes it almost it makes me imagine like if you're reading a novel or something you have these slight motifs that are definitely weaved through that the author intends but if they're really good at it the reader won't notice it'll sort of internally create you know the these series of dots that the reader might connect together. But that approach of actually observing, I think, is one of those pieces of advice that sometimes are so obvious that you totally forget about it, right? And I think that that allows anybody to watch, whether it's a TED Talk or whether it's a a recorded video of somebody that's spoken at some conference or even just in person, that information, what do you do with that then? Because I'm sure as a journalist, you read other people's articles and you have this thief mentality where you're looking to see how far they dug into the story. And in a day of fake news, there's probably a lot of fake speeches, right? Where people are not fact checking or it's maybe more off the cuff, but what what do you do with these elements? So let's say you're at a conference and you watch somebody and you deconstruct them and you have this thief mentality. Do you then try to incorporate things that you like into your own speaking pattern or what what do you tangibly do with that because i love that as a tip well the first thing is really observe and decide what you like and what you don't like again a thief when he walks into a house looks for the precious stuff so you want to take up the precious stuff what what you think is useful just don't copy select i mean you should observe but select also so is the guy using uh quotes how is he using them is he using jokes and uh, does he have a challenge with the audience uh, or how does he break? How does he relate to the audience? That's another crucial part. I'll, I'll get back to that. But building a relation with your a relationship with the audience is, is very important. And uh, so those are all things you can learn. I mean, you can be some people are, are just very gifted and they're very good at talking. And, you know, they, out, as you were saying, they're just outgoing and they're naturals. But many things you can learn. And again, you were mentioning TED Talks and other things you can find on YouTube. That's a great source of uh, uh, samples. I mean, it helps uh, it helps you develop also your own style of, uh, of public speaking. Yeah, I just I'm imagining somebody in a classic, you know, dark outfit with a with a large beaded beanie on and their classic sort of black, you know, their black goggles on and a speaker thief. <laughs> like, I don't think I really got, I thought when you said thief, it's really about like just finding 
elements and digging down. But this image is in my head of, of, of somebody with a total knapsack and like creeping in in the back of the room, but stealing. Actually, like, a, like you said, a thief goes into a house and finds the jewels that they want. And that's a, that's a huge takeaway because you have to come up with your own style and you've got to like what you're saying. And you can hear and basically steal the jewels of the processes, procedure, quotes, jokes, things that other people are using and put it in your bag and <laughs> run away and do what you want with it. I like that. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, bear in mind, it's not just uh, stealing. I mean, it's also re-elaborating because that's, I mean, stealing is the first step. But um, once you have you know your bounty, you have, uh, I mean, you you digest it, and you, I mean, you will never perform in the same sequence or in the same way or the same tone. So you have to develop an original way of uh, using all the all the tricks, uh, all the things you you stole from other people. And I guess that's uh, that's uh, another tip in some way. You have to have your own voice. There are certain standard rules for being, uh, you know, it's just you have to be on a stage, you, there's a certain timing, uh, etc. But uh, you want to have your own voice if you want to be an effective speaker. Now, uh, we, I've heard about people having a certain voice when they write. And would you say that it's similar in crafting your own voice in a written word as, as a parallel to crafting your own voice in a speaking world? Somewhat, but it, I think uh, when I talk, I I feel a bit more free, so I can throw in the occasional joke. And uh, I mean, writing, especially, I, I write both for print and, and for the online, but uh, especially with the print, I mean, you, you have so many constraints in terms of uh, the style and also the length, especially the length that, you know, you have to really cut down to the bare facts, to the bare uh, essential part. So speaking, you have a much more freedom. And I think that's also one of the things I enjoy uh, in respect to writing. But writing is is sort of the, it's a skeleton, it's the bones of your, of your talk. And then you want to dress it up. And uh, if you're reading something, especially in a news story, especially on a mobile device, you want something that is, is pretty dry and goes straight to the point. But uh, when you're listening to somebody you want something something that is more, want to hear something that is a bit more entertaining so you should uh, curate that part as well as a speaker all right so we're observing we're a robber we're finding the right jewels that we want using that to help find our own voice and what i like about this tip is that it's not a situation where you go and hire a coach to help you out you are your own robber coach and the more exposure you have to more talks and more speeches and more videos, the more you have to pull from, the bigger your bag of bounty, and then you're able to, to rearrange it. It almost makes me think of, of garage sale shopping. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if there's garage sales in Italy, but I'm, I'm like a garage sale fiend. Like if I see a fluorescent sign and I'm driving by, it's, it's almost as bad as texting and driving. Cause I just can't keep my eyes off it. So I have to pull over and check it out. Right. No, we don't have that stuff in Europe. <laughs> so, you know, these are things that people have that, you know, they've used, but they don't have a use for again. And, you know, taking these different items, bringing them back to your own house and recreating them into something that's unique almost like a design on a dime concept where one person can look at a sequencing or a timing or jokes or a certain intro or structure 
and you can pull that off of somebody else's lawn, uh, you know, get some sandpaper, put some spray paint on it, do a couple bedazzles. And now it, it literally is your own because you're not stealing your, you're thieving and you're, you're hand selecting, but then turning them into your own thing. So I just thought about a garage sale, like a garage sale shopper in that respect. Okay. Th- that's all good stuff. So now you've got this, this base level to build your, your speaking voice off of what's a more, I guess, you know, medium level to advanced level of, let's say you're comfortable speaking. You feel like you have your voice. What would you say to guide people to just get better and better? Because you, you're constantly honing your craft. How would you suggest other people continue to do that? Well, one thing uh, that I I always make a note is uh, of doing is is preparing and and being there in advance. Uh, that helps me a lot, especially when when I'm moderating a panel or I have a, a complex uh, a series of things uh, on stage. Because uh, it's great to, you know, make acquaintance with the people that you will have on stage, especially if you're hosting a talk or something, and um, and get to know them, get to know about their personal details, about the personal professional life, because uh, it will make it just much more pleasant when uh, you're in front of the audience and, you know, and you transition to the other guy in the panel and you say, oh, by the way, this guy is... Uh, has been has won uh, a fields medal for something and uh, um, so it's, and also small things because it, it helps you put them at ease and it gives a, a totally different climate to the room right and it sounds like it almost makes it more personable and when you say show up early I'm curious how early do you show up what, what would you suggest I mean if you had a an event do you show up an hour before or half an hour before? And then when you when you talk about getting to know people, do you cyberstalk them online? I mean, in the nicest way possible, right? Do you do you really look them up and feel them out, or is it more of a this natural, organic? You get to meet them and you feel them out initially when you're in person. Um, I okay, LinkedIn is uh, is a totally legit uh, way of uh, stalking out people, and I do research people before I meet them. But okay. I guess that's. Uh, that's part of being a thief, I guess. You prepare your coop before going <laughs> on the ground, right? And uh, no, as a journalist, I'm used to do that. Before I meet somebody, it's a normal procedure to check them out and see what they've done, who they know. And in that sense, social networks, uh, I started being a journalist uh, when the web was in its infancy and we didn't have social networks. And social networks in that sense, especially LinkedIn, are just wonderful for getting uh, uh, to know stuff. But also, you know, just Googling a name and uh, figuring out uh, what they've done, what is not in their LinkedIn resume is is very useful. And then uh, about the showing up part, well, basically 10 to 5 minutes before the the first guy shows up, uh, I mean, the first person you want to meet, usually you have agreements with the, you know, the logistics, the organizers about when people are coming in and I usually ask them to to come over and have coffee all together if, or on a one-to-one. And um, I like to have at least half an hour to talk with uh, the people. And it's good for them as well. I, I do a lot of stuff with uh, CEOs and top managers. So it makes them feel a bit more relaxed because sometimes they go... 
you know, they some people feel very, very awkward about going on stage with somebody who they don't know. And so it's, uh, I love this idea of, I love this idea of working with the organizers to let them know that you want to have 30 minutes of coffee with the people that you're having a panel with. I mean, that that's a great idea so that it's facilitated and it's part of the process. You're not catching these people off guard and that most likely helps to lower their guard, which makes your job as a moderator that much more successful. Yeah, totally. Exactly. I mean, it's uh, the point is really, you have to think when you're a speaker, you have to think yourself as a host, basically in a house, you want to make everybody comfortable. You want to be in control, but you want to have a really, a an easy going uh, climate there. And that's also the, the environment where you can throw in some difficult questions if that's the point. I mean, if, if you're doing an interview uh, or you, it, you're in bringing up a difficult topic in a discussion, that helps because uh, people will be more open. The audience will, will get more out of it because people will be less uptight. And I, this idea, have you, you know, the concept of someone in their, their croc brain or this mammalian brain, I talk about this a lot where, you know, our bodies are, are basically set up to react to outside stimulus in a way that makes us not die, right? We either flee or we fight. And what it sounds like you're doing is you're really helping to get someone that you're moderating with or, or that you're moderating for or a panel you're getting them past that crock brain and you're getting them comfortable with you as a person who's moderating so that then they're able to spiel their guts or able to answer those difficult questions, almost kind of like warming them up, right? Yeah, that's right. But it also helps you to keep them in check because sometimes you end up, I I once did a thing like uh, last year, uh, they, they stuck me into this uh, talk when and there were a lot of local authorities. So it basically I ended up having like, uh, 16 people uh, on the same panel over two hours. And it was crazy because, you know, you, you couldn't have anybody actually talking. It was, you know, so packed. So it helps a lot to tell people how many minutes they, they will have so mm. they can structure their, their discourse. Because most people I see, they come they come on a stage overprepared and the other thing is slides. I mean, you have to be really, really careful with slides because those are an audience killer. So you want to tell people in advance, look, it will be organized in this way. It will have five minutes. If you basically have seven minutes, you tell them five, so they will stick to the time. And uh, you're you're the screen director there, so you're the movie director. On You have to think to, of yourself in that way. I think that's, uh, you know, the art of moderating, the art of hosting. I'm super passionate about that. I, I'm the, the ginger MC self-named and I do a lot of conferences and hosting and I love it because you're able to not only interact with people on stage, but you have that directorial control and the difference between something from an audience perspective being entertaining and of high value as a host or a moderator, you really hold the responsibility for that. And I think that not everybody realizes how difficult it is to be a good moderator, but I think people are very quick to point out moderation that is not done well. And uh, it's a good sort of excuse for them to be like, ah, the moderator. It's like cooking. Everybody knows when something doesn't smell or taste right, but (laughs) doing it is a totally different business. 
I like that. Definitely, definitely moderating is like cooking. So let's talk about, you know, these are great tips of how to improve, basically stealing the jewels from other people's speeches based in observation, using things to find your own voice, getting there early to relate with people, to get to know them, to drop their guard, but also to put yourself in a position of authority when it comes to moderating. Let's take a step back to some of the things that have worked for you to get there in the first place. Some people want to make uh, money while they're speaking. Some people want it to be their actual full-time income. Some people don't even care about the money. They just have a message that they want to share. What are some of the top tips that you'd give somebody in order to turn that corner from you know volunteering as a speaker or raising their hand to be a moderator to flipping it and having people approaching you to give those talks and finding you and saying, can you moderate? Are there any things in particular that you've done that have worked very well that are duplicatable? Well, for me, it was kind of, well, I had one problem solved uh, from the start, which was, you know, the, the people were asking me because there was, so there was a demand, but it's, uh, you have to think of yourself really as in the market, in the market for, and it's a market for attention, basically. So if, uh, let's say on one extreme, I would say you're not doing it for money, you're not doing it professionally, but you're doing it for advocacy. So you have to figure out what what's your message? Why would people come and want to listen to you so and you you have to advertise that so do that through a blog through a web page uh, do something but uh, start start so start spelling out what you stand up for i've been an activist uh, a transparency activist for a couple of years uh here in italy and in europe and um of course once you you know you put your face on it people will start asking you well Will you come and talk for 15 minutes about, you know, why transparency, why access to information is important? So, and that's because I was writing about it and I wasn't making any money out of it. I just wanted to get the message across. If you want to make money, you want to have uh, a profile that is uh, that is relevant. So you're either uh, very good at talking about something. I don't know. Uh, cooking like <laughs> well we have a lot of cooking shows you know, on tv and now in, in italy and europe so it's uh if you're good at that that's definitely a career <laughs> to pursue i would say and um well r- real quick on that here's a question because what are your thoughts on being really 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 good at one super narrow topic or being well-versed or still being really good at various topics from positioning yourself as a speaker, and it sounds like we're really talking about your personal brand. If somebody thinks about you, what is it that they think about you? You know, if you are seen as an activist in all of your writing on social, then that kind of puts you in that box as an activist. Do you really, would you suggest for people to focus on that cooking niche or something very specific? Or do you think that there is value in having multiple things to talk about? The point is you need to be able to talk about multiple things. Uh, personally, I I don't write about stuff I don't know, uh, and I wouldn't talk about things I, I don't know. So if they ask me to do a talk about uh, Italian theaters in the 19th century, I, <laughs> I would have to decline that. But uh, So you have really have to identify those areas where you feel competent, you feel relevant, and you can, you know, 
you have an added value because uh, it's uh, the stage is really a truth moment, especially I, we spoke earlier about uh, moderating, but uh, moderating somehow is easier because you you're not so much on in the limelight. But uh, if you really have to do like a TED speech, there you have to really prepare and uh, and have um, a curriculum that uh, that backs it up. I mean, it's uh, you, you can't come just out of the blue and 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 talk about something, or you have to be very popular or very good at uh, recounting something. If you work on TV, that's very easy. Or if you do a series of talks on YouTube, uh, you're a YouTuber that uh, can work very well for you. I have a friend. Uh, we were colleagues. We were. Uh, desk mates at um, business news agency and he turned himself he rediscovered himself as a storyteller for of, of great innovation stories uh, basically tours you know companies and uh, and schools and uh, they pay him to you know tell these stories of uh, great people who did great things in technology and business uh, from the Bank of America the founders to other things but he he really prepared for that and uh, you know he started small and then he grew into it and i guess another advice is also well something that has helped me a lot and really has scaled up my my speaking uh, career and uh, and also budget is uh, is getting an agent uh, the right agent is is like a great thing can do great things for you i have i've had so far i have had three agents and the present one is definitely the best one now are these people that are part of sort of speaking um associations or the actual speaking agents these are actually uh i i'm not i don't know how so well how how it works in the states but i think it's not very different it's uh they're basically agencies they range in their uh activities but uh, typically they go from events from organizing events to having a a palette of speakers they can uh, offer people they can offer companies or other festivals and it helps you a lot because it helps you concentrate on the content on you know on your training on what you have to prepare for and they deal with all the well the money side of the things which is always pleasant because uh, very often they uh, they're able to negotiate better than you are and uh, and they free up a lot of time and of of boring things uh right all the administrative stuff and the contracts and and the back and forth and even scheduling and all that right yeah and it also makes you look much more professional because oh well he has an agent so it's like you know (laughs) right but um yeah so it's also part of your position of positioning yourself Uh, uh, if somebody's else selling you if he will probably sell you better than you you could sell yourself unless you're great at doing that and uh, but it's i personally found that very distracting so i was very happy to to have somebody else doing it for me and um, and very often it's uh, they they go out and look for gigs for you so that's uh, uh that's very nice yeah and it really lets you focus like you're saying on your craft and on what you're actually doing uh, here's a here's a kind of a random question but on topic there's this ongoing debate and i ask everybody if they really feel there's a difference between the terms of a public speaker versus a professional speaker, do you prefer one over the other? I've had some people really try to shy away from 
public speaking because they feel it halos them into a certain category, whereas professional speaking, or I'm a professional speaker. How do you, like, what words do you use to describe yourself when you're out there? Uh, yeah, I'm, I use them pre- pretty much. Uh, in the same Are they way. intertwined for you? Uh, they're pretty much intertwined. I mean, I consider it a professional activity because it's uh, I get paid for it. So, and um, yeah, it's public speaking. I mean, so it's, yeah, probably I would say usually public speaking, but uh, um I probably wouldn't do it if it wasn't uh, if I wasn't paid for. Or- right, and the paid kind of implies that professional element to it. Yeah, because you got a, you've got an agent, so you're good. You're good to go with that. <laughs> well, yeah, they make some money off me, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it sounds like with an agent or an agency, not only are they out there helping you find opportunity, they're selling you. They're selling you at a higher price. So even if they're taking a certain amount of fees, you're still in a net positive, positive situation. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to pay them their fee. I mean, they, you know, and the, the fee is usually a percentage of what of uh, of the gross uh, payment. So the higher the payment, the the higher the fee they get. And uh, also, it's useful to be. I mean, their agents are. Well, this maybe is worth a few words because you have to pick your agent savvily because you don't want to be the small fish in an agency where they have lots of big fish because mm. uh, you will be kind of neglected. But you don't want to be you know, the, the, the most important or like one of the top guys, especially at the beginning. You don't want to be one of the top guys in a place where they have few speakers and uh, they don't have volume. So you have to be, pick it savvily. And also some agencies have like, I'm with an agency now that has mostly cultural and uh, tech innovation related people there uh, lots of journalists academics and uh, they have like uh, I think 20 25 speakers we don't really overlap each other's but there are some points of contact so when a company is looking for a speaker on a certain topic they know that the agency will have a profile and they might find somebody uh, which is relevant to what they want to do there so it helps uh, to be with the right people in that sense and of course, you have to have a trust relationship with them. I mean, it's a, it's a business relationship. So, yeah, you, you got to choose your uh, the people that you're going to go rob everyone else with wisely. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> choose your accomplices wisely. Choose your accomplices wisely. No, I think that's great. Well, you know, this is inspiring me to get a, a bit more serious about finding an agency because that's interesting. I've been back. I've, I've had enough success and I'm able to find places that um, are looking for me to speak or I have enough inbound, but it is a lot of time, brain damage, and some of the administrative stuff is not that great. So definitely I'm going to look more into that. But these last few words about being selective, I wouldn't have thought to ask those questions about how many speakers do you have? Where do I end up on that lineup? You know, is there overlap with other speakers that you have? Now, from a, it just also makes me think about like a press kit. Do they handle your press kit? Do they do all of that? Um, you know, what are your thoughts around having the collateral to be a professional speaker? They handle all of that. Uh, they we worked on it together. So they, I gave them them some materials, and and they, you know, they drafted up. Uh, a short bio and and uh but then you have to work with them because i mean it's it's yourself they're selling so you want to be you want to have an eye on that 
but um i think you you really figure out i don't know i'm 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 I consider myself pretty good at figuring out people in the first uh, 15 minutes. Uh, so if you go and meet them and from the first meeting and you see the people you will have to work with and uh, you probably have a gut feeling of uh, uh, if that thing is going to work or not. So it's... Uh, it goes back to your original observation, right? I mean, I just imagine your ability to read people as super toned in, right? I mean, you... I can imagine you sitting with just about everyone and secretly doing an interview and digging down to find that story within. Um, and I think that's a, that's an amazing quality. I think we should all be a bit more, a bit more of a journalist when it comes to that type of investigative work. Well, yeah. Journalists come in two, in two ties, basically the guy who's the, the journalists who say, uh, hello, how am I doing? And, and it's all about them, you know, and, they have a big <laughs> and, and the guys who are a bit more, and which I consider really the, the real journalists who are really into like self-effacing themselves and trying to understand what's going on around them. So the, the witness kind of journalists, and that's, uh, the kind I look up to. And, uh, uh, and if you can get yourself in that, in that kind of position then you're 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 in a good uh, observation point you can really take in things and yeah being a journalist for for more than 20 years now it's that has helped me a lot because uh, it's a lot about observation and people are observing you too and 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 i like this idea of hi how am i doing mm-hmm. versus hi how are you doing i mean that's that's i think there's not only two types of journalists there's two types of people really and yeah. when people start to speak more, there might be more ego involved, but it's a good reminder to always say, how are you doing? Not how am I doing? <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, hey, if somebody wants to, to find out more about you, read your articles, where's the best way for them to get you? What's your social media platform? Do you have a website to point them to? How can people continue this podcast into infinity as they follow you for the rest of your life? So there's a, I have a Twitter account uh, that's Guido Romeo at Guido Romeo is the handle and it's, it's Guido G U I D O and Romeo as in Romeo. So that's, um, that's the easy way for English speakers to remember it. And, uh, <laughs> and there's also my website um, and that's uh, com. And uh, there you will find it's mostly stuff in Italian, but there's occasionally uh, some there are occasionally some pieces in English. I, I I always tell myself I should do more writing in English, but then it's you know assignments mostly coming in Italian right nowadays. So it's uh, that's uh, one of the things I want to develop in 2018, I guess. Well, there you go. Well, hey, this has been fun to meet you, get to know your tips, and I I think that forever. I am uh, I am plagued now when I'm watching a speaker or watching a talk. I will remember this conversation and I will think about putting on a beanie and my little black mask and I will be looking for the jewels <laughs> to leave with. <laughs> I think that's so great. Uh, and every time I'm garage sale shopping, I'll probably think the same thing. Um, and the difference is that uh, one is it's more of a I'm taking from and the other is that I'm sort of walking around and, and able to pick out from things that are ready to be taken. And I think that that's really the case. There's so much great information. There's so many amazing speakers. Some of them, you know, you have to go and steal them from their nuggets and their timing and their jokes and how they do it to make it your own. But at the same time, there are speaking garage sales everywhere. And I've found so many people like you that are just 
willing to put stuff out of the lawn and say, hey, if you want that, take it. Give me 50 cents for it because it doesn't take anything away from you when you're really able to help someone else out. So I think this is going to help a lot of people out and I'm excited to follow you and get to know you a little bit more. I don't know Italian. That's not in my 2018 goals, but maybe connecting more can give you an excuse to get that English going. Uh, But I think that your ability to take the written word and transform it into the spoken word as well as moderating to help get those words out of people is an admirable and exciting. Well, thank you. <laughs> All right, so let's go garage sale shopping, and uh, when you're back in the U.S. at some point, uh, let's uh, let's go rob some stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. I'll make All right, buddy. We'll thank you, Ryan. Have a great day and week, and we will see you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode here at the World of Speakers. Be a robber. Go find what works for you. Find your own voice. And uh, don't be afraid to just observe because the more you observe, the more you'll find, the more you'll learn, and the more you can share your message with the world. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. And uh, thanks. Now, how do you say uh, goodbye in Italian? Ciao? Ciao. That's perfect. All right. All right. Ciao, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Ciao.